The Hammer, Chapter 25 The commotion behind Corvin faded as he raced toward the tree. He figured he could get his bearings from the statues, but he couldn't find them. His ability to see in the dark must be waning. He ran around the tree until he found the right pathway and then retraced his steps back to Morgan's crypt. There was no one to be seen. Jord must still be finding his way in the darkness. Corvin sat down against a crypt to wait. A hinge creaked, and a faint light appeared along the lid of Morgan's crypt. Corvin shrank back. The light grew brighter as a hand pushed the lid higher. A face rose in the ghostly green light. It was Jord. Corvin jumped up, and the man dropped the lid, knocking himself back into the closed tomb. Corvin lifted the lid up and out of the way. Jorad laid sprawled on top of Morgan's body, while Kate lay curled up by their feet, pale and still. Her chest rose a fraction of an inch and then fell. Corvin leaned in and put a hand on her cheek. Kate, can you hear me? She didn't respond, but the green glow increased. Resting in her limp fingers was the source of the green light. It was the disc she had taken from Sarek. It was smaller than Corvin thought, but its markings were clear and bright. The disc was a seven-sided, star-shaped medallion with sharp points around the outer edges. Jorid sat up and rubbed his head, groaning. Next time, warn me before you jump out of the darkness. Is Kate all right? She's alive, but we barely made it here before she collapsed. He stood and came close to Corvin. We are fortunate she had that light along. There's not a speck of Lumian light tonight. Jorid looked at him closely. How did you find your way in the dark? Corvin shrugged. Jord wrinkled his forehead. We need to get out of here, but I don't think the girl can move. She doesn't respond at all. Corvin reached into the crypt and touched Kate's hand. It was cool and clammy. Kate, it's me, Corvin. Wake up. He lifted her hand and grimaced as the black band slipped away, revealing a ring of crusty red blisters. Jord leaned down. We'll have to carry her, Kalian. Let's move her out, and then we can get Morgan's litter. They gently removed Kate from the crypt and laid her on the rocky ground. Her cheeks were sunken and pale. She'd lost a lot of weight since leaving home. Corvin hoped the cookies weren't all she'd had to eat since then. Kneeling beside her, he held her hand. It was cold to the touch. He squeezed her hand gently and felt a faint squeeze in return. He let himself breathe again. Jorad climbed into the crypt, muttering himself as he worked at wrestling the litter out from Morgan's body. Corvin reached under his cloak for the hammer and brought it down to touch the black band. Release her, he whispered. Nothing happened. Please, help her. I, I love her. Don't let her die. The hammer grew warm. Corvin pressed his face to Kate's. Let it go, Kate, please. Her head shook ever so slightly. Her eyes fluttered beneath closed lids, and a faint sigh escaped her cracked lips. If you let it go, I promise I'll take you home. I want to see the stars again, don't you? Kate nodded ever so slightly. The hammer glowed, and then the band quivered, opened slowly, and fell to the ground. A smile tugged at Kate's cracked lips. I want to see the stars again, don't you? Kate nodded faintly. The hammer glowed, and then the band quivered, opened slowly, and fell to the ground. Jorid pulled the litter free from the crypt. He jumped out and set it beside Kate. That light disc is still in there with Morgan. We'll need it to see where we're going. Corvin scooped up the black band and held it in his fist. He didn't want Jorid to see that Kate had been wearing the evil thing. 
Putting the hammer back in the holster, he climbed into the crypt to get the medallion. As he picked up the star medallion with his free hand, he felt an overwhelming warmth and peace envelop him. He lifted it to his eyes. The words glowing in the center were the same as those on the hammer. A sharp pain cut into his other hand, as if the black band had bit him. He raised the band for a closer look and stifled a cry. His hand holding the bracelet appeared as only withered and wrinkled skin on bones, a dead man's hand. He tried to drop the black band, but his hand refused to open, and the thought forced itself into his mind, blocking out everything else. Accept it, and you will live forever. Refuse, and you will certainly die. Intense cold crept up the dead hand holding the bracelet and was answered with heat moving up from the medallion. They met at his shoulders. Pain seared through his head. Snippets of images played out in his mind. Truth and lies, love and hate. He had to choose, or he would be split in two just like the tree. A harsh thump on his shoulder sent the black band tumbling across the crypt. Jorid's anxious voice broke the silence. Hurry up, Kalian. They'll be looking for us. Let's get out of here. Corvin looked at his hands. They were both whole. He inhaled deeply, allowing the medallion's warmth to spread through his chest as he clambered out over the crypt wall. As Jorid pulled the lid back over the crypt, Corvin saw the black band slither toward Morgan's leg like a glistening leech, looking for fresh blood to feed on. Jorid lifted the first latch. Don't lock him in, Corvin said. If he's already dead, it won't matter. But if he's not... I told you before, this is not your business, Jorid said firmly. Corvin pointed the medallion at him. Yes, it is. I'm part of this, and I can't walk away and leave him to die. Not even if he's a murderer. Are you allowed to decide his fate? The high priest said if you kill someone, you can't be a priest, and you can't get married. Is making sure Morgan is dead worth that? The light of the medallion cast a glow on Jorid's tense features. He stared at it for a moment, then let the latch drop with a dull clank. Crouching, he grasped the poles of the litter. Corvin did as well, and they lifted Kate from the ground. They passed out of the cemetery and made their way up to Dark City Street. A thin, wailing voice from a building off to the right interrupted their shuffling walk. It warbled and settled down to a low, cackling laugh. The tension on the litter poles increased as Jorid urged Corvin on from behind. "'Keep in the middle of the street,' he whispered. "'Even if they come out, keep moving. I don't believe the broken will attack a priest.' Another wail came from up the street, and it was answered by two more directly behind them. The voices were close, but even with his keen eyesight, Corvin could not detect any movement. Turn right, Jorid urged and pushed on the poles. They began to jog, the haunting voices pushing them forward. Jorid directed from behind, but it seemed to Corvin the unseen cries were hurting them through the narrow streets. Rounding a corner, they found the way ahead of them blocked by a massive pile of rubble. The cavern wall had collapsed and smashed the front portico of a great building. Tall, fluted columns of rock were piled up like a giant's game of pickup sticks. There was no choice but to turn into a square tunnel cut into the stone wall. It was a dead end. George turned them around just as a tall metal grate rumbled across the opening, cutting off any chance of escape. "'I am a priest of the core,' George shouted as the gate clanged shut. "'I bring no harm and seek only your peace.' As the echoes of his shout died away, a small hidden door set into the stone opened inward next to Corvin. A gentle push from behind signaled Jord's intentions, and they walked inside. Instantly, the door slammed shut. They stood still a moment, listening to the reverberations of the immense space before them. 
Then Jorid pushed on. They walked out of the darkness into a dimly lit great hall, dwarfed by massive pillars that soared into the vast recesses high above them. The air was dense with mold and the familiar outhouse stench of human waste. Up ahead in the center of the room, a steady light shone. They walked toward it, past heavy stone tables piled high with stacks of rotting scrolls. Each table was presided over by small versions of the Lumian lampstands Corvin had seen in the square. The rings at the ends leaned over the scrolls like empty eyes. The glow ahead came from four statues on short pedestals, each holding a fire stick in front of it. In the area bounded by their lights, a thick round table squatted on a massive carved column. Let's put her down on the table. The dense air of the huge room swallowed Jorid's words. They slid the litter onto the stone surface, and Corvin turned round to look into Kate's pale face. He held his hand near her lips and felt a faint whisper of breath against his wrist. The band of gems had fallen off her head onto the stretcher. He stuffed it into his pockets. It was pretty and might cheer her up later on. He pushed away the thought she might not live to see it again. Corvin brushed the hair away from Kate's hollow eyes. It would be his fault if she died in this terrible place. He never should have let her use the hammer. He wished now he'd never even found it. But maybe... As he unclipped it from the holster, thoughts of how it healed him jumbled in his mind with the pain from when it punished him. Since Kate had chosen the black band, it might hurt her, and she was far too weak to risk it. He snapped it back into place. A shallow breath rattled from Kate's lungs. The power of the hammer might be too much, but the comfort of the medallion would help her. Pulling it from his pocket, he laid its glow face down in the open neck of her tunic. Kate took a deeper breath as the warm glow touched her skin. Corvin raised his eyes. Please let Kate live, even if I... His words floated high overhead into the vaulted ceiling, where large painted faces gazed down in rapt attention. Although blackened by generations of smoke, their eyes remained focused on the center of the room. All around the faces were smaller paintings of people and animals. Most were obscured by the dark smudge, but off to the sides the murals were clearer. Was that a blue sky and a golden sun? People in small boats on the water? Corvin stepped back to get a better view, stumbled on a loose brick, and fell backward into a pile of damp scrolls piled against a statue's pedestal. He pulled himself to his feet and looked up into the stone face. It gazed back at him in unblinking silence. A hand grabbed his arm and pulled him aside. Jord looked fiercely into his eyes. Don't touch anything. They are watching every move we make. He turned away, and Corvin could see that he was not taking his own advice, for he had cleared off a table and spread out a large scroll which he studied intently. Corvin stared at it. The markings looked like the tracks chickens left in the mud. Jord traced a finger backward along a line of characters. Unbelievable. And this is only one scroll of thousands still readable. He gestured around the room, and Corvin saw that the walls of the chamber were covered in cubicles of various sizes, many containing one or more rolled-up scrolls. Around the perimeter ran a balcony that housed the second tier of scrolls. I have heard stories of a library in the broken city, but I never believed it could be this vast. It would take many lifetimes to read all this. From the tone of his voice, Corvin knew that Jorid wanted to start immediately and would not be easily distracted from the task. The priest moved along the wall, tugging out scrolls, reading the identifying marks and reluctantly pushing them back into place. I don't understand. Look, you can see where the water rose this high. He pointed to the wall where a line of black mold encircled the room about three feet off the floor. All the documents below this point are hopelessly ruined, and the dampness in the ruin will eventually destroy even those the water did not touch.
And this. His voice choked in anger as he checked the remains of a campfire made from the scrolls. They used scrolls for a fire. Fires are not even permitted in the Corps. Our air is much too precious. And that, he shook in wrath, pointing to where pieces of scrolls had been used for toilet paper. Animals. The broken have become nothing but animals. Who are you to judge these people? A voice called out. Jord and Corvin whirled about. An old woman glared at them from beside a stone column. She wore a bright orange shawl and large black boots. Her frizzy red hair was tied back in a checkered scarf and wide silver hoops hung from her ears. Corvin wondered if this strange world was also home to a race of gypsies. Jord stepped back. Madam Torig, I did not know that you were still... She waved a carved staff in his face. I wonder what you do know, Jord. What do you know of those who have lived in the broken city for longer than you and your fathers have lived in the priest's compound, filling your bellies with food supplied by the palace, food bought with the very lives of those who die in hard labor out in the settlements? What gives you the right to look down on those who refuse the oak of the oppressors and choose to live off what little they can find here? Jord bowed low. I am sorry, Madame Torig. I was overcome by the loss of such treasures. I had no right to lay the blame for this on those who live here now. The old woman's face softened. I understand how you feel, for my mother was once curator of this library. She leaned on her staff. It is a great evil that is willing to destroy this precious heritage in its rampant pursuit of power. Jord pointed to the walls. But the water, how could the rulers... We do not know, but we have no doubt they will try again. Come, I will show you. The old woman stepped away and motioned for them to follow. As they walked away from the torches, the floor became more even. She held out her staff. At their feet, the floor of the building ended in a jagged hole above an open space far below. The pool beneath this room had been silent and still since the founding of Kadir. Then it began to bubble and froth, becoming brackish and undrinkable. Finally, one day, it erupted in a geyser that reached the ceiling. Everyone ran as the water rose higher and higher, flowing out into the streets and to every burrow we had created to hide ourselves from the ruler and his forces. Many drowned. Her voice cracked. She extended her hands, palm up, striking them together. Then she lowered her hands until the fingers pointed down. Jord made the sign back to her. You cannot see it in this darkness, the woman went on, but the collapse of the ceiling was our salvation. The geyser weakened the ceiling, and it fell in and shut off the flow of water. But we live in constant fear it may start again. Corvin gripped the stump of a broken pillar and leaned out over the edge. An island of broken stones rose from a lake that extended from wall to wall in the room below. The water swirled slowly in dark eddies. He was about to turn away when a shadow crossed the lake just beneath the surface of the water. Something or someone was down there. Jord pulled him back from the edge and beckoned for him to follow as the old woman stumped her way back to the table where Kate lay. Kate's hands were clasped around the disc on her chest. The peaceful look on her face made her appear as if she were ready for her own funeral. The old woman caressed Kate's cheek and then put her hand under the girl's wrist, feeling for her pulse. She turned sharply toward Corvin. Where did you find it? Corvin stepped back, unsure what she meant. The old woman backed him against a stone pillar, her cane pushing hard into his chest. The medallion you put on her, where did you get it? Answer me truthfully, for your life depends on it. 
Corvin put his hands on the shaft of the cane. She pushed a tip harder into his chest. She was much stronger than she looked. He was certain the middle tip of the cane could pierce right through him. His forearm tightened against the lashes that held Morgan's knife in position. In desperation, he pulled out the knife and pushed at the cane. Sparks arced through the air. Her carved staff fell to the ground, neatly cut in two. The old woman gasped and fell against the table. Corvin held the black blade limply out in front of him. I'm sorry, I... He never got a chance to finish, for in an instant the four statues came to life. One struck the knife from Corvin's feeble grip. Two pulled the old woman to her feet. The fourth dropped his torch and pulled Corvin's hands behind him in an iron grip. The old woman released herself from the protection of her grey guardians. She approached Jorid and struck him across the face. You have betrayed us by bringing a servant of the Rakash to our dwellings. Jorid licked at the trickle of blood that oozed from the corner of his mouth. It is not as it appears. I do not know where he came upon the black knife, but he is not of the Rakash. Silence, the old woman commanded. She moved in on Corvin and pointed to the knife on the floor. If I dared touch that foul thing, you would now die by your own blade. Jorid raised his hand. Madame Torig, you warned me not to judge people too quickly. Do not make the same mistake. The tallest of the grain man stooped to whisper in the old woman's ear. She cocked her head to one side and looked quizzically at Corvin, then commanded that he be released. Your treatment of this young woman is not what the Rakash would do. But I have seen much deception and betrayal in my life. What can you offer as a pledge that will remove any doubt as to your intentions? It took Corvin only a second to decide. I promise that I will not betray you to the palace. I swear to you upon this. He slipped the hammer from its holster and extended it toward her, its insignia sending pulsing waves of blue light around the room. <laughs> <laughs>